0: This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business and globalization and the effects these developments have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. Today we will be talking to Pamela S. Harper, consultant, author and podcaster. Uh, Pam is founding partner and CEO of Business Advancement Inc, a strategic growth advisory firm based in the New York City metropolitan area. She is a global expert known for helping visionary CEOs, C-suite executives and boards cut to the heart of high-stakes strategy and organizational dynamics issues to dramatically accelerate growth. So welcome, Pam, and thank you very much for being here with us today.
1: It's great to be with you, Patrick.
0: You're very welcome. Uh, Could you tell me maybe in an overview about your career to date? Uh, How did you come to be where you are now?
1: Well, it's a story like everything. Uh, After college, I had a corporate career in organizational development. This is my passion. You know, how organizations make big things happen. And I started with small and medium and large companies in a variety of industries, including telecom, information technology, power generation engineering. You get the idea. They were all different in many ways, and but they all had one thing in common, and that was that they were successful and they were experiencing unprecedented growth in a rapidly changing world. So I was brought on, always the first of my kind, to help them navigate through this. And at first, these companies continued to grow. But after several years, something strange would begin to happen. Now, think about this. This is the 1980s. So it wasn't common. So instead of continuously moving forward, the momentum for growth became snarled and a tangle of what I call firefighting and poor morale and shortfalls in revenue and profitability. It was tough. And it was like strategy and execution were fighting each other. It was despite reorganizations. And despite the sophisticated systems that they had and despite hiring star talent, you're thinking, well, why, you know, Um, and it was mystifying. You know, I was sitting in this organizational development spot and it was mystifying to everybody. Uh, So much confusion, so much major conflict. And um, even with the state of the art systems in place, you think, well, systems are going to fix it. No, in this case, it didn't. And so people were capable. They were well-intended. And eventually what would happen and it became a pattern is that the people in the C-suite changed. And now, of course, that's a very familiar pattern. But back then it was not. And um, I was fortunate. I was able to keep moving forward. I kicked myself up a ladder in different companies, uh, Mm -hmm. new experiences and all that, but it made me wonder. And I thought, if there are so many best practices for leadership and management, why is it that long-term success is still so elusive? And it's a question that people are still asking today. Big question, right?
0: (laughs) And and this, uh, this plateauing effect Is that a case of, you know, putting it kind of in very blunt language, a case of, you know, what got us here is not going to get us there? Is it is it that? That is absolutely
1: true. And remember, again, the context is different. In the 1980s, we're talking about even to 1990s, people didn't think like that. There was still a lot of feeling of we could do what we did before. And what's going to happen? And so there was a lot of uh, companies being blindsided. Uh, I worked with a film distribution firm at one point, and this is all my corporate career. And they were blindsided by cable technology. You know, Mm -hmm. people didn't have the Internet like we have today. It was Mm -hmm. harder to get information. So it's understandable. But, Uh, you know, uh,
0: it was hard. Early early in in my career, my first real job, if you want to put it that way, as as an engineer, I worked in a manufacturing company that was an entrepreneurial company. And it was still owned and managed by the person who founded the company. And it, it had grown a lot and it was exporting a lot. Uh, But people, even the people who were in it were saying that it's growing so much now that it's not the way it used to be. Mm
1: -hmm. And it
0: got to a point where it was beginning to break down in in that way. And eventually it was acquired by a much bigger organization that knew how to take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think those are the types of things perhaps that we see coming about when things stagnate in that way. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. I I agree with you. But the thing for me is I got to a point in my career in management and I said, you know, I need to be on the outside to understand what's going on on the inside. And Mm. that was when I made the decision to become an independent consultant. And that was in the early 90s. And so things were still uh, going on, but at least I had a clearer idea of what was happening. And uh, I worked with these companies, they're all going more and more of them. You can understand we're going through what we're all talking about here. This, this, uh, Blind being blindsided by changes in technology and globalization that was still becoming uh it was not as common and issues of demographic changes that were still, you know, everything was happening not quite as fast as it is today and. After uh, a number of years, and so we're talking now like around 2000, I decided that the best way to figure out why these things were happening over and over and over again was to write a book. Nothing like writing a book to figure out why things are happening. So I did the research and I could see from the outside that there were patterns and themes as to why these things were happening, even you know why it was strategy and why was execution fighting each other so much, even when people were capable and well intended, and that led me to write Preventing Strategic Gridlock. I called it Strategic Gridlock, mm-hmm. uh, just like traffic gridlock in New York, you know. <laughs> and I saw and what's, the the, what's
0: the premise, the premise, and the main arguments of preventing strategic strategic gridlock of the book.
1: It is that. Uh, we think we know what should be happening and, of course, what is happening, and I call it organizational reality, uh, are not in sync. And that's a theme that I've taken with me. But what I find is that it's in order for a strategy to really take hold and have those plans be implemented requires an appreciation of some of the things that people dismiss as you know, that's just politics, or uh, people don't wanna do that, or a lot of miscommunication, especially when companies are changing and moving at such a fast pace. So I became interested in integrating and embracing those two sides. Uh, Unlike some people, you know, who would say, well, strategy is strategy, and organization is the organization. I say, no, it has to fit together. And so Mm -hmm. I came up with a process in this book called UNLOCK, which stands for a process for how you can move through uh, even then these rapid changes and come together, get to that heart. But the story goes on, Patrick, because time goes on. And that book was out in 2003 and it's still out there. You can still get it on Amazon. But I started becoming more interested going beyond the adapting and responding, which preventing strategic gridlock was read much more understandably in those days about adapting and responding. And I mm-hmm. became fascinated by these people, these CEOs and C-suites that were able to anticipate And they were able to keep igniting game-changing growth. They, I mean, they were setting the standard and, uh, that became where my passion evolved and, uh, started calling these people growth igniters. You know, they didn't fall in love with their company just as it was, they kept growing and, um, Especially today. That's where my interests are, because there's so much more ambiguity in the world than there even was then.
0: That's interesting. So what do you think today makes a good business strategist? So what kind of attributes, what kind of experience, what kind of knowledge should these strategists possess? And are they people who are more generalists or specialists? What do you think?
1: Um, I think that the thing that is most important today and what I'm finding that more companies and more boards are looking for in their C-suite, and we specialize in the C-suite. Uh, obviously, it's a whole organization, but that's where we make our, our connections, is you have to become curious because yeah. there's so much going on that we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. And um, I'm hearing more people as well talking about, we need this curiosity in our top people, curious about why what should be happening isn't happening or why there are these changes that you talk about so much in your podcast, you know, with digitization and how does this all work together? And if the supply chain is changing. And we're seeing more companies that are partnering. I mean, you're seeing it too. I just saw a headline today about uh, companies that are now partnering with their supply chain in in different ways. Why, you know, what is it going to take for us to be able to be even more effective than we've already been?
0: Mm-hmm. It, it suggests to me that People need to be looking out as well as in. Um, you find a lot of professionals in business are very focused on what's going on inside, um, but maybe not so aware of what's going on in the in the wider world and how developments that would appear to be far away can have a very dramatic impact. Uh, we've seen with the um, pandemic, we've seen with some of the Climate incidents around the world, we've seen with accidents around the world, like uh, sewers and so on. Um, so, I think the types of people, on the one hand, need to have that kind of outlook to mm-hmm. look out. Um, and also, I think they need to be good at relationships um, and building uh, connections because today, the way, as you mentioned, you know, people are uh, collaborating with their supply chain. Businesses compete by the by virtue of the horizontal supply chain relationships they have with peers, rather than, like, say, the Ford Motor Company back in the nineteen twenties, where they owned everything from the mine, the plantation, the factory, the the, the sales office. So, really, um, I, I think those two things. Or how would you how would you view those two things, the ability to build relationships and the ability to be outward looking? How important are those?
1: Absolutely. I agree with you 100 percent. Relationships with stakeholders, groups and individuals are more important now than they even were when I first wrote my book and I was talking about it then. Mm -hmm. Uh, And things are changing so rapidly with the internet, with social, with all of this that we need to stay in touch with what is important to us internally as a company, of course, is essential. But all of these different stakeholders uh, and we're, we're betting the life of our company on partnering relationships, especially. And uh, in fact, we did the we as my business partner and husband Scott and I uh, did a, uh, a study about strategic alliances. This was back in 2013. And one of the biggest challenges that we discovered off of this survey, which went across 15 industries, is that nobody could figure out what a strategic alliance was. And this included querying about uh, supply chain and licensing and all kinds of different partnering relationships. And people didn't understand nor appreciate each other's challenges and limitations. So to your point, Patrick, relationships and that mutuality are going to become more important than ever. And that's, that's going to increase.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I guess at a time when the pressure is on. So right now we have people faced with prioritizing service or supply because there isn't enough to go around because of the disruptions and because of the interruptions. Uh, It's at times like this that the relationships really come into their own. Um, And there's a difference between being looked after or being overlooked. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm, That's right.
0: Yeah. So I've got got to decide who am I going to look after today? It's going to be, you know, the people who've been building relationships with me.
1: Right. It comes down to trust, too. I mean, those are those are trust building things. And I think that trust and communication is how we're going to get to that. Hmm. We're going to need to increase our communication skills uh, by quite a bit. So what what kind of
0: services do you provide to to your consultancy clients now and how do they benefit from from working with you?
1: Well, as I said, typically my clients are visionary CEOs, C-suites and boards of companies that are growth oriented. And uh, the challenge that they're facing is the navigating of uncertainty, ambiguity uh, as they are growing and they bring us in, they invite us in to help them to make sense out of what they're seeing, to help them think it through, and also to navigate these dynamics. Uh, You mentioned in my intro, we talk about getting to the heart of the situation, and a lot of times that heart is getting in the way of making the decisions. Do you have time for a brief story? Sure. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Well, so just in one situation, I was working with a major corporation. We were working with them, and they were committed to expanding their presence in a different geography. And they were not hitting their milestones. They had the strategy. They were going straight onto it, but there was a tremendous amount of ambiguity in a new market, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was impacting their supply chain. It was impacting everybody. Uh, So not only were they not hitting their milestones, but everyone was confused about what to do and nothing was happening. They had the systems. And so we were invited in the uh, exec in charge of this particular situation said, I need help figuring out why it is that we have our, our, everybody agrees that we need to make this happen and nobody's doing anything. And uh, so we came in first and as we always do, we found out what was going on with people and what, what was happening. And what we learned is that people were excited to make this strategy come to life. They were excited to move forward, but there was so much ambiguity in the steps that were necessary to make it happen. There were power dynamic changes. This was a big thing. And uh, so nobody was going to make a move because they were all concerned about uh, how it was going to look. And what we did is once we were able to get all these different perspectives, talking about stakeholders, we helped this whole uh, group to reframe their challenge. And to see that it wasn't we're on a process of rolling something out as much as we had to embrace these different points of view and help people to uh, bring out the elephant in the room. Everybody wanted the same thing. Nobody wanted to talk about it. And when they were able to do that, then they realized that they could all work together together creating a new strategy, an adapted strategy that was going to help them to move forward faster, was going to bring in these uh, partners that they needed to bring in. They couldn't do it without them. Mm-hmm. And as a result, they were able to accelerate their momentum by at least six months. And they calculated it was worth millions of dollars in the short term and hundreds of millions in the longer term and their reputation and the relationships that they had with these different partners also solidified. So it was very valuable to them. And that's that's an example.
0: Yeah. So that was g- getting people from, I guess, strategy formulation into implementation, which is often where it falls down. Isn't that right?
1: It, it was partly that. Yes. And it was also going back to saying we have to make some decisions about our strategy and really Uh, rethink, Mm. rethink some of the assumptions that we made. And that's uh, one of the big issues in this very rapidly changing world is we need to move quickly. We make assumptions, not always the right ones.
0: Yeah, sure, sure. So right now, then, as we emerge from the emergency phase of uh, coronavirus around the world, what do you think are the top strategic issues that leaders are, are facing right now?
1: I think... That the top strategic issues are from the standpoint of navigating these new relationships that are coming out because of digitization, because of needing to look at how their supply, how supply chains and their customers uh, Mm -hmm. can work together in new ways. These issues are going to continue to uh, become uh, front and center. As I said, I saw an announcement today, for instance, that in uh, Munich, there's a car show, an auto show, and -hmm. they were announcing that the technology companies and the auto manufacturers are now coming together to more directly partner. This is a new thing that they're saying we don't need the perks. Vendor, And it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. But what I can see is there's going to be more strategic alliances. I think there are going to be more uh, needs to figure out how do we go from us and them to a new definition of what us is.
0: Yeah, it's funny how uh, supply chain is now in the mouth of uh, all sorts of people who never spoke about it before, you know, like politicians and reporters and television uh, presenters. Um, So, you know, what what kind of supply chain challenges are you seeing people facing uh, among among your client base?
1: Well it's very easy to with digitization to just boop, you know we want this we want this uh part we want these things we have this order we need this now customers are uh speeding up their orders uh and at the same time it's taking much longer for goods and services to make their way over to the companies mm-hmm. that uh that are going to be making them. This is why uh, the auto manufacturers are starting to look at uh, uh, the semiconductor industry more directly, saying we need to be able to find a way to align better with our partners. And so, so there's this lag time and we're going to have to figure out how to work together not just with better technology, which is definitely an, an important component of this, but also people have to want to work with the technology. People don't always want to. I still see this. Do you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes uh, technology is, uh, is, is a barrier, definitely. Um, in, in terms of the process of, of globalization that all of this sits within, Um, I guess in our career times, we spoke about the 80s and the 90s and how business has um, internationalized and how supply chain has become a a, a crucial element and supply chain relationships become a crucial element of how businesses uh, compete. But in the last, say, five, six years, we've seen um, like a pushback. We have have Brexit in, in Europe, we had the uh, the Trump administration, which um, had a different view of um, um, uh, multilateral relationships and international trade, particularly with, with with China. We've had the pandemic, which has also pushed things more towards a self reliance, uh, home based type of um, uh, approach to, to to dealing with the challenges. So, where do you think we are with the process of globalization? Is it is it stalled? Is it going backwards? Is this a blip or is it just changing form?
1: What I can say from the companies that I'm dealing with is they still see themselves as global. And it's a relationship that has taken time to build and nobody's untangling themselves completely. Are there some aspects of service that are being pulled in Perhaps there are in some cases, but what I'm seeing more is that there's no one-size-fits-all approach to globalization. Mm-hmm. It really depends upon uh, a host of values and what is most important to moving this company into their own growth trajectory. It's a, it's a moving target, Patrick.
0: OK, tell me then what what plans do you have for your own business and your own strategy over the next couple of years?
1: For us, we see ourselves as global and have seen ourselves as global. And one of the reasons that I feel just as comfortable being global now as ever before is because of technology. So I speak globally. We're speaking globally. Uh, I work extensively with clients over the Internet Mm -hmm. and eventually, yes, there's going to be uh, more hybrid. But for now, I think that we see ourselves as having a much greater impact than ever And, and because of globalization.
0: Okay. now, as we come into the last uh, few minutes we maybe uh, move away from the business side of things, I might just ask you a question or two about yourself. So what kind of things do you like to do in your spare time when you're not working or thinking about your business?
1: I enjoy learning. I love to learn. And when something, especially when it's something I've never done or it's challenging me in a new way, And uh, that's taken the form of everything from learning Aiki Jiu Jitsu (laughs) uh, uh, or it's learning about podcasting, which I've never done before, which is as much personal as it is professional. I love to network with people and find out new things from the people I meet. So special interests, reading is a very big deal to me going to events. Uh, I'm going to a number of virtual events right now because I can. Hmm. Um, And uh, just finished a graduate level course on speaking because I wanted to up my keynote levels and uh, learn some amazing things about speaking. So this is the big, the big takeaway, which is that how you communicate is just as important as what you communicate. So that emotional component shouldn't be underestimated.
0: Very interesting. So apart from your own book, Preventing Strategic Gridlock and your own podcast, Growth Igniters, do you have any book or podcast recommendations for us that have inspired you recently?
1: A book that I particularly recommend is called "Think Again" by um, Adam Grant, and Adam it Grant. came out. Yeah, it came out not very long ago. And his point, his little tagline is the power of knowing what you don't know, and his premise is that we need to develop uh, confident humility and to recognize that in a world that is more complex that there's wisdom in admitting that we don't know everything and that sometimes we even have to unlearn things so that we can learn new things. So the author is Adam Grant and the title... Adam Grant, and it's called Think Again.
0: Think Again, okay. So where can people find out more about you uh, and your work and how can they contact you?
1: They can contact me by going to businessadvance.com And uh, certainly I'm on LinkedIn as well, Pamela S. Harper. They can go to growthignitersradio.com, which is also available wherever you pick up your podcasts. And we have some amazing interviews that are coming up. In fact, it's you, Patrick. (laughs) I would love to have you as our guest, and we're looking forward to that.
0: Excellent. I look forward to it as well. So it's uh, thank you, Pam. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today and uh, wish you continued success, both personally and professionally.
1: Thank you, Patrick. It's been a pleasure to be on your podcast.
0: And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. For any comments or questions, just drop me a line as usual on pdaily at albalogistics.com. That's P-D-A-L-Y at albaalbalogistics.com. And keep well and stay safe until next time.